It is Wednesday, November 15th, and this is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast. I'm your host. My name is Stephen Cox. Hello. On this week's show, we talk first with Karen Besserman. She is the founding executive director of Emerge Washington, a group dedicated to training Democratic women to run for office. Then from Arlington, Virginia, we talk again with Julia Kay to help us wrap up last week's off-year election. And then we chat with Indivisible Spokane founder Cynthia Hamilton about some of the very innovative protests that she and her group have been doing. All that plus our member profile. Karen Besserman is the founding executive director of Emerge Washington, a new statewide branch of a nationwide organization that trains Democratic women to run for elected office. Karen Besserman, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Stefan, for having me. I'm excited to be here today. Well, we're excited to have you. So first, tell us a little bit about your background in politics. Sure. Uh, among other things, you worked on Senator Maria Cantwell's campaign back in 2000, right? I did. As a matter of fact, I started my career oh so many years ago working in campaign politics. And I lived um, all over the country, primarily in the Midwest and on the on the West Coast. And I was here in in 1997 dating myself, working on a, a very important statewide handgun safety initiative back in the days before we saw school shootings on the front page of the paper every day. Yeah. And um, it was an amazing campaign, which we lost horribly, but we did the right thing. And I looked around and I said, this might be a place I could come back to when I get off of this proverbial hamster wheel that is campaign life. And so I came back in 2000 to work for Maria Cantwell when she was first um, elected to the United States Senate, defeating Senator, then Senator Slade Gordon. Right. Um, and I stuck around after that. I started a political, I worked on a few more campaigns locally here in Seattle. And then I started a political consulting campaign, uh, our political consulting business, sorry, um, with a colleague who then went off to work for Howard Dean for president, among others. And I kept doing political work for several more years and um, hit the proverbial brick wall and took a big, hard break for the last four or five or six years and had been working um, in the nonprofit world, doing mostly women's rights issues and social working with social justice organizations. Um, and I was loving it. And then Trump happened. And I woke up the next day or in my fog of not sleeping that night. And I, I did what a lot of people did. And I know a lot of people that are listening to this did, and we sort of cast it about and thought about where are we going to, where are we going to put our efforts? What am I going to do? What am I going to be able to do to say to my nieces and nephews that I did something? Well, we're really glad to have you back <laughs> and we're glad to have your involvement. And, uh, feels good to be back. Well, so let's talk about Emerge as a program. It is a nationwide program, and it has just come to Washington in the last six months. That's right. I'd like you to talk a little bit about what Emerge is and why it exists. Certainly, we know that we have a dearth of women politicians (laughs) in this country, especially in relation to women's share of the population. So tell us a little bit more about what Emerge is. Sure. So Emerge America started about 15 years ago, and uh, um, I'll tell you a quick story. It happened with two friends who one of them was wanting to run for district attorney down in California, and she and her best friend got together, and they were like, huh, what do we do? And they thought, well, we'll put a bio together, and well, we'll take your Rolodex, and we'll put it in a Palm Pilot, which was reflective of the time that this happened. And they kind of looked around and said, well, there are no resources. There aren't a lot of training. There's not a lot of resources specifically for women who want 
want to run for office. And so they worked on putting the Emerge um, uh, America organization together. And, and that woman, one of them went on to become the president of Emerge America and serves as president today. And the other woman went on to run, run and successfully become district attorney and then attorney general of California and now sits in the United States Senate. And her name is Kamala Harris. So wonderful. So, we come we come from um, good roots here. Um, so yeah, Emerge um, is a 70-hour, multi-month cohort-based training program specifically for Democratic women who want to run for office up and down the ballot. And before the Trump election, Emerge was in about 14 states. And then since the election, um, or uh, women all across the country have worked really hard to bring Emerge to their states. And we're now in 22 states. Washington was the 18th state. Um, and a group of women caught together last year um, and had their first meeting on November 29th and said, gosh darn it, we're going to do this. And they were able to raise money and do political mapping and, and do all the outreach and other things necessary to start an organization. And they they hired me as their founding executive director in June. And we um, ran two boot camps this summer, which were shorter, 20-hour weekend um, uh, boot camp trainings for women who were currently on the ballot. I definitely want to get to that in just a second. But I, sure. I, I, I want to just, before we proceed on that, um, I want to ask what is going to be a pretty self-evident question to most people <laughs> listening. Uh, but talk about some of the strengths that women bring to politics. Well, I think, I mean, I, 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 again, I hope some of this is self-evident, but I think women are more collaborative. Women are more thoughtful. Women um, tend to be focused on inherently on more issues that are of concern to families and more people. So be it healthcare and education and those, those issues that reach across a lot of time party lines and affect everybody. Um, and we see women, um, you know, the numbers bear out that women, um, introduce more legislation. They introduce more legislation with bipartisan support and sponsorship. So definitely more collaboration and consensus when women are at the table. And just to be just in the, you know, in fairness, we should have a, a democracy and governmental institutions that reflect the face of Americans. Yeah. Women make up 51 percent of the population and 54 percent of the voting population. So isn't it time that our institutions at least reflect that? Well, our neighbor to the north, Canada, when Justin Trudeau came into office, exactly. he was asked about why he had appointed uh, half of his cabinet as females. And he said, well, half of the country <laughs> is female. So exactly. makes good sense. Uh, so when Emerge comes to a state, they identify the top leaders and officials to leverage for their uh, collective experience for the program. Who specifically are some of the people that you have begun to work with here in Washington? Sure. Well, I can tell you that in our boot camp, um, in our boot camps this past summer, we had leaders like then or or out soon to be outgoing Mayor of Tacoma, uh, Marilyn Strickland was involved. Um, Port Com Seattle Port Commissioner Courtney Gregoire was involved. We had a, a elected official from um, Cedro Woolley um, participated. So we're not we're working not only with elected officials and in our full program next year, we're planning on having um, a panel of elected officials, um, female elected officials from all over the state at each one of the luncheons, um, each one of our training dates. So we will have elected officials from all across the state. The, the incoming mayor of Vancouver has agreed to participate and we're reaching out to all the other incoming female mayors as we've learned up and down the I-5 corridor and all over the state. 
So we're excited about that. And we're also reaching out to some of the most, um, some of the best trainers in our state that do political work um, and who have, we're, we're talking to some of the campaign managers of and campaign staff of some of our recent big elections that we had just last week. Um, and so yeah. we will, so everybody that comes to our programs have access to these amazing trainers, these people with amazing experience, and a lot of our elected officials. So you mentioned the election that we had last week, yeah. and that election had some big Democratic successes across the nation and here it at home. Sure Can you just talk a little bit about a few of the emerged success stories around the country? I, I know that there were a number of candidates to win in the Virginia House of Delegates race, yeah. and that was certainly one that the whole country was watching. Yeah, that's amazing. Danica Reem, um, who we are we are all talking about and super excited and proud of, who who beat the self-identified homophobic man in Virginia. And I should mention that Danica Reem is a transgender woman who ran on real issues, uh, namely transportation issues in her district and won. Uh, I wasn't aware that she was an eMERGE graduate. Yep. Dana Kareem was an eMERGE graduate. I believe eight or nine of the women who helped flip that Virginia um, House of Delegates um, back into Democratic control were eMERGE um, graduates. Um, so tremendous success, um, you know, all over the place. We had some great wins here in Washington State. Yeah, um, talk about some of those. Sure. Um, Deborah Kilgore, who is a first-time candidate, um, is on now on the Edmonds School Board. Um, Janice Zahn, also a first-time candidate, won her race out um, and the Bellevue City Council. Um, and we just had candidates when in our boot camps this summer, ranging everything from um, county uh, fire district to who didn't go on to be successful, but but will in the future, um, all the way to some some um, candidates who are running for Congress. So we just have boot camp alums right now, and I shouldn't say just because they are also emerge trained. Um, but all across the country, these were women who went through the full seventy hour program, which we will be launching in January. And speaking of elected officials that we are are working with, we recently named our first class the 2018 Patty Murray class. So the senator was kind enough to do a kickoff event for us several weeks ago, and we named our class after her. And we're hoping that our first class comes through and is as successful in their political careers as our senior senator has been. Well, that's tremendous. And I'm glad that she's lending her position to the the program. Um, So let's talk about the program itself. Sure. Tell us about, you you have quite a a curriculum. Tell us about some of the things that you teach aspiring candidates in the 70-hour program. Sure. Um, Well, we teach, um, uh, you name it, we we teach the nuts and bolts of how to run for office. So, um, you know, starting out with putting together your campaign plan, um, focusing on putting together your kitchen cabinet, um, as well as your field plan and your messaging. We do messaging communications. We do a full day on fundraising um, and field. We're going to actually do a lot of exploration learning. We're going to bring in some real donors and we're going to do what I like to call donor speed dating, where uh, <laughs> uh, people in our in our program are going to get to actually talk to real donors and, and give their spiel. We do an entire day on diversity and inclusion, um, how to both run as a as a candidate of color and how to be a white woman running in a diverse community and how you how you bring um, you, you know you run the most inclusive campaign and bring bring communities into your campaign. Um, you know you name it in terms of running for office. We'll do a, a piece on compliance and particularly we'll have some legal experts in the room to address some of the issues going on with 
um, some of the Freedom Foundation and Glenn Morgan and folks who are going after some Democrats on some PDC violations. So we'll address real time things as they're happening. We um, we plan to have, like I mentioned, a um, a panel of uh, real-time candidates at, at each one of our luncheons during our program. Um, we do networking, media, and messaging. Um, we do a day on labor and endorsements. We're spending an entire day, um, excuse me, down in Olympia where we'll be shadowing um, our women legislators, and we're excited that there's a new one in the, in the state Senate that we get to partner with. So we'll be spending an entire day down in, down in Olympia as Great. well. Um, so it, it's a full gamut, and then we'll do a graduation sem- se- uh, graduation ceremony where um, you know the women will walk across the stage and they'll get their graduation certificates. And we've invited Senator Murray to be a part of that um, uh, that graduation of the class that's named after her. One of the things that struck me in the coursework is something called ethical leadership that seems to yeah. be in short supply these <laughs> days. Uh, talk, talk about that a little bit. Sure, um, we're going to just do a piece on you know what it means to be a, a, an eMERGE graduate, why eMERGE, why now, why you, um, and what it means to, to you know stand up to your values and your principles um, and why that's important and particularly in these times and to be you know your real self um, when you're when you're being a candidate and I can tell you that in our as some of some of this just happens organically with a cohort based um, training in our boot camp this summer we were doing what we thought innocently enough was a training around compliance and how to file for office and and how to be you know do everything legally and legit and and the women in the group had this real emotional um, time around these issues and one of the candidates uh, or one of the the participants in the class, um, was able to reflect and say that she wasn't really feeling like her herself was was being represented in her campaign, and she had felt like her campaign was somewhat being taken over by her staff and her consultants. Mm. And she went home that evening and she reflected on the day and what it meant to be your authentic self and to be supported by this cohort. And she fired her entire campaign team and started over wow. and, and, and ultimately was successful. So a lot of that happens sort of not in, within the coursework, but as a part of being um, in a cohort-based training with women who are who are making these life decisions about you know running for office and they're they're together through these 70 hours and then on throughout the rest of their careers as well. So is there a cost for this program? There is. Um, our for our first year we are we have a tuition of $650, but I want to say very emphatically that we don't want to let um, uh, finances stand in the way of a woman coming through this program. So we are going to be very generous with with both payment plans, if that is something that we can work out with the women, um, as well as we will be offering scholarships to those who need it. I firmly believe that everybody that comes to the program needs to have some quote-unquote skin in the game because I think that makes you accountable just to show up. And because it's a cohort-based training, being there every day and as much as possible is important to only not only for your own learning, but for that of your classmates. So we're going to make it work for everybody that wants to come through the program. We will find a way to make it work. So do you encourage candidates to start 
with smaller, more local races, particularly people who have no political experience? Or does it depend? I mean, I know you mentioned that uh, we have some people running for Congress from your boot camp program, Mona Doss and Kim Schreier. Uh, They're both Uh running for Congress in the 8th. So obviously some candidates feel inclined to jump into larger races. How do you – is it on a person-by-person basis? How do you – how do you guide people accordingly? That's a great question, and and as we're going, th- as we've been going through our um, our recruitment process these last several weeks, we've had lots of these conversations. It's not for us to decide what you want to run for. It's for us to give you the skills and the tools that you need to run. Um, I've talked to many women who, um, you know, woke up on November 9th of 2016 and said, this is what I need to do to make a difference. And they have no idea what they want to run for and may end up running for hospital commissioner out in Jefferson County, because that's the, those are the issues that they're passionate and believe in. And some may run for Congress. It is not our job. Um, it's our job to help um, then figure out what what opportunities are available, be it um, an elected position or an appointed position, and make sure that they have all the information to make those choices. But it is not for us to decide what they run for. We have many, many women who have applied for the program who just think that one day they want to run for office, but they really don't know what that means. Hmm. Um, I know we have women who are, are, are interested in perhaps the legislature, but live in a district where they don't think that they have a chance to win. And so they might want to look at other offices or, or perhaps looking at moving and what does that mean in their lives as well. Um, so again, not our job to, to tell you what to run for. It's our job to give you the, the skills and tools and the and ongoing network to make sure that you're successful. So then for somebody who is hearing what you're saying and is potentially looking to get involved, what are some questions that a potential candidate should ask herself? Sure. Um, I think you should, women should ask themselves if, if this is right for them, if, if running for office is something that they've ever considered. And I would say it just has to be a simple yes that I've, I've considered it. We want to talk to women who um, are interested in running for office in the next two to five years who um, either have been told by friends and colleagues and others that, oh, you should run for office or have thought about it themselves. Um, You don't have to have signed on the dotted line and be ready to run for office. We just want to help give you the skills and the space to figure it out. Um, Other things to think about is, you know, can you make a commitment to to a cohort and the 70 hours, because again, being there is really important. Um, and then, you know, what, what are your motivations for doing this? I mean, we want to have a class of women who are motivated, um, and ready to give back and ready to be in community. Um, and if you can say yes to those things and we want to talk to you and we want you in our class. So how does the application process work? If somebody wants to take the plunge? Excellent question. Um, Well, actually today, um, but hold on a second. Today is our application deadline. Okay. But but because... And I should mention um, that we're talking on the 15th of November. We are talking on the 15th, but I will say that because of the election last week and people, a lot of people being super involved in it and, and super busy up until the very last minute. And then a lot of people needing to decompress and, and celebrate and, and evaluate after the election. And then with next week, next week being Thanksgiving, we have extended the deadline and we have now pushed it out until um, Monday, 
the, I want to get the date right, Monday the 27th. Okay. So everybody's got another about 10 days to get their applications in. Um, the application link is really long, so I'm encouraging everybody to email me directly, and I'm happy to give out my email address. Please do. Which is Karen, K-A-R-E-N, at EmergeWA, all one word, dot org. And I can send, as soon as you email me, I will send you the application link and detailed instructions on how to fill out your application. Um, there is a $50 non-refundable application fee, and then we will be setting up interviews um, for interested participants December 3rd through 6th and hope by the 15th to be able to announce who are in our 2018 Patty Murray class. And we'd love for um, some of your listeners to be a part of that class. Terrific. Well, it's it's all tremendously exciting. And I just want to say thank you so much for the work that you and Emerge are doing. And awesome. uh, I, I hope to touch base again in 2018 after some uh, some huge Emerge wins. So will you come back? I, w- I would love to come back. And if you want to have maybe come in and, and do something with our class participants, we'd love that as well. Excellent. Well, Karen Besserman, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you. All right. Take care. Julia Kay joins us again on the show. Julia is on the executive committee of the Indivisible Affiliated Group We of Action out of Arlington, Virginia, and she has come back to talk briefly with us about the results of last week's Democratic victories in her state. So, Julia, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm imagining that the mood there is pretty jubilant this week, yeah? Yes, Stefan. In fact, on Tuesday night and Wednesday, we were all walking around with big silly grins plastered across our faces. As you should be. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Ralph Northam beat Ed Gillespie by nine points, which is really decisive. Uh, Were you or anybody uh, that you've been working with surprised by the margin of victory there? I think the exact margin of victory uh, was certainly in question. But the fact that he succeeded was, uh, I think, something that everyone viewed as, as very possible. The polls were all over the place, and so in the resistance, uh, a lot of people just kept telling each other, we're just going to ignore the polls, buckle down, continue to work super hard, and that's what we did. So let's talk about the House of Delegates races that uh, were happening there. When we spoke last, you talked about the Democrats needing to flip 17 seats in order to take the majority. And I believe at last count, they took 15, which in and of itself is really impressive. But I hear that there are recounts underway. Can you tell us the latest on that? I'd be happy to. So there are three races with recounts uh, that uh, will start after November 30th. Uh, pursuant to the way our state does things. Uh, But right now what is going on is um, these campaigns just finished chasing provisional voters uh, who are those that show up at the polling place and perhaps there's a question as to whether they're at the right place or perhaps their ID might look a little old or some questions. So they can come in and get those questions fixed and campaigns on both sides have been chasing them down to try to repair their votes essentially. Uh, With that said, uh, Democrats have made some headway with provisional voters here and there. There was a little excitement um, with a protest that we arranged, actually, for Joshua Cole, uh, 
he is the candidate in District 28, and uh, the registrar in Stafford County uh, refused to count uh, upwards of 55 absentee ballots, which appear to have arrived on Election Day at the post office, but somehow didn't make it into the registrar's hands on that day, and he's claiming that, therefore, he shouldn't have to count them, which is absurd. Mm. Uh, so uh, folks went out to protest. It made all of the media, and uh, Joshua gave a lovely speech in which he explained he will continue to to fight. And, in fact, the NAACP has filed a, um, a lawsuit on behalf of provisional voters who may have been misled as to when they could come in. Uh, and, uh, and I believe other actions may be in the works. Uh, so that's one, one little exciting, uh, race. I think the most of the attention in the state is on, uh, district 94 where Shelly Simons, um, his school board member ran a fabulous race. Uh, she was thrown into the race, uh, midway after another candidate dropped out. She rapidly made up ground and, and is within 10 votes wow. at this point of her opponent gets right. And so, uh, as you can imagine, I just keep imagining all of the delegates in the Democratic House caucus pulling out their reading glasses and running down there to scrutinize. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you figure with 10 votes on the line, that that race might be uh, contested for a little while. I'm sure, by both sides, hotly. And so um, that's, that's going to be absolutely one to watch. Uh, Joshua Cole is very close to his opponent as well. Uh, they're within probably about 80 votes at this point. Uh, actually, this afternoon we should be finding out how many provisional votes they managed to, to cure. Uh, but she's, she's the closest. And the cool thing about these races, stuff was that the delegates lent votes to the governor's race. Usually what happens in a state election is that people go to these off-year elections in order to vote for the governor. And while they're there, they think, oh, well, I'll check off my vote as well for my party for for these other positions. I have no idea who these people are. But in this case, it sounds like it bubbled up. Yeah. Exactly. The resistance in particular actually won a lot of these races that the party didn't have time or money to focus on. And we've been out there campaigning, canvassing, I mean, just individual people, but together, thousands and thousands and thousands of canvas shifts were done over the summer, which really familiarized these voters with the progressive candidates for delegate. Many voters, it turned out, went in to vote for their delegate. And while they were there, they decided to check off the box for Ralph Northam. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny that you say that because when we first talked, I know that you were very enthusiastic about, I had called you initially to talk about the governor's race, and you were very uh, enthusiastic about talking about the House of Delegates race there. And so it sounds like it really did have a nice side effect for Northam, which is you were out there working to get people really excited about the House of Delegates race, and uh, that may have contributed to the large margin of victory there. So uh, so congratulations on that. That's really exciting. Thank you. In fact, last night, Chris Bowling, the executive director of the Democratic Party, was speaking to the grassroots on a call organized by Mobilize America, a really nifty organization that is essentially Democratic House Caucus's liaison to the grassroots. And Chris Bowling said... What happened last night was unprecedented. The hope throughout the nation is that we can repeat it. Tuesday night, election night, was not just about Ralph Northam. 
it was the beginning of a movement. Yep. And he saw this as, as led by the grassroots, and I think all of your listeners should be super excited by this. Well, there was a lot of enthusiasm about a local race that we had here that actually flipped the state Senate. So we now have a blue state, uh, and we are part of a <laughs> what, what they're calling— Thank you. And it's what's it's what's being called part of a big blue wall that includes Oregon and California. And we certainly uh, are hoping that uh, Virginia will join us uh, on your side of the nation. Um, It was a very big night for Democrats on Tuesday. Uh, Many people are seeing this as a repudiation of the Trump slash GOP agenda. Do you see it that way? I have come to see it that way. And when you and I first spoke, I wasn't sure if I did. Uh, But having read uh, exit interviews, so this is anecdotal, but having read um, uh, Washington Post accounts and others of exit interviews, it does appear that many of the voters we turned out were not just going in to vote for personalities or an agenda. They were voting in many cases in order to send a message to the resident of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Well, whether or not he actually uh, heard that call remains to be seen. But uh, there's another election coming in 2018, as we know. So we'll see how that one goes. Well, look, I want to say thank you so much for all of your hard work during this election. And Julia Kay, thank you so much for coming back and talking to us about it. Thank you, Stephen. It was my pleasure. My final guest this week is Cynthia Hamilton. She is one of the founders and leaders of Indivisible Spokane. That's a group that first began meeting in the wake of the 2016 election before the Indivisible Guide was released, and later, after the guide was released, came to align themselves with Indivisible. Now, her group has created and participated in some amazing and innovative protests that I'm excited to share with you, including putting up billboards and organizing and televising a local discussion with area healthcare workers to raise concerns and awareness about the ACA repeal. I started by asking her about that one. Well, we're very fortunate to have a number of doctors who actually care about their patients and how all of us can get taken care of. So originally, we were going to set up a a debate. We're going to do it at Gonzaga, which is a local university that, well, actually, a lot of people know about it now because of basketball. Sure, yeah. Anyway, (laughs) so I still think of it as a little tiny college. But um, we were going to have a debate, and we were going to have two opposing doctors, pro and con, and we were going to have two opposing um, insurance providers. We're going to have two opposing health care providers, you know, hospital admin types, and we were going to have two uh, patients opposing each other. Our only problem with that was we couldn't find a soul who would represent the con side of the argument. Interesting. And you, you live in a pretty conservative district, so that's noteworthy. No, that's completely noteworthy because we could not get anyone, not a doctor, not a rural hospital, not a local hospital, and we have a ton of them here. Well, So when you couldn't get the debate going, I, I understand you turned it into a discussion, right? Yes, that's exactly it. And what we did was we decided to have uh, additional panelists to actually be able to answer the main question. If they enact the Trump care, what does that mean to our community and the people who live here? And how was the discussion received? 
oh my gosh, it was it was incredible. It was just awesome. There were lots of folks in the audience, of course, but we also live streamed it, and so there were a couple thousand more watching the live stream. And more importantly, we had told everyone that we were going to uh, film it with a two camera shoot, and then we got uh, our community minded TV, CMTV, uh, the local community access television, to. Uh, agree to air it, and they didn't just air it on themselves. We managed to get it leveraged into our local uh, PBS station here, KSPS. Oh, that's phenomenal. So, wow. Yeah. So you got very broad reach with this. Yes, totally broad reach because, you know, it's healthcare that affects everyone, and nobody else was putting on any kind of a, a debate like this or an issue. So here's this little tiny ragtag group of <laughs> protesters going, Man, uh, let's take care of this. So that's the that's those are the niches that Indivisible fill. That's tremendous. And the whole thing only cost us like four hundred bucks, and that was because I insisted that the people who filmed it should get paid. Wow. Well, that's tremendous. So you did. You you had an enormous impact with a very small budget. I think that's music to the ears of a lot of people listening. Uh, let's also oh. talk about something that did cost a little bit of money but had a huge impact, and that was a billboard that you put up opposing your uh, local representative, uh, Kathy McMorris Rogers. Tell us about that. Oh yes. Well, you know, you know how these memes always go around and stuff, and some of them are just kind of cute and clever, and you know, you laugh amongst yourselves, but they're not really very effective. It's switching the mindset of the other side. So one flashed in front of my face on Facebook one day, and it, it was in the same format as the blue, red, blue uh, yard signs that our uh, CMR, Kathy McMorris-Rogers, uses whenever she's campaigning. Right. So that, that was a motif, and it said, repeal Kathy with the same font that she uses on her yard signs. Repeal Kathy, not the ACA. And, of course, I busted up laughing, going, yeah, because that's all she's ever talking about. The girl can't think her way out of a paper bag, but she (laughs) knows how to follow directions and raise money and repeal and replace just falls off her lips like water. So that was a clever thing. But then I thought, well, why don't we we tweak that a little bit? And so I put it out on the system and uh, out to everybody, and I said, what should we do to make this better? Because I think we could take this somewhere. I think we could do like a billboard and then some yard signs because they look just like hers. So it went through this process of, of change by committee, and it actually turned out way, way, way better. So it turned out to be the three lines that repeal McMorris Rogers, because we didn't want it to sound so friendly, and not our health care. Because not everybody's on the end and know that ACA stands for the Affordable Health Care Act. That's right. The Affordable Care Act, rather. So we changed it so everybody could understand it. And then people said, yeah, let's make that into bumper stickers and stuff. And I went, yeah, we could do that. And one of our members did get uh, about a 1,000 bumper stickers made up. And then we started, like, raising money with those. And people go, yeah, I'd love to see a billboard with that on it. And I went, okay. And <sighs> people would, you know, take one bumper sticker and it'd be 20 bucks. And some people didn't have any money and that was okay. We still we gave them. Uh, it was a real community thing. If you had, you gave. If you didn't have, you took it and you shared it. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So at what point did you decide uh, to actually get rolling on turning the bumper sticker into a billboard? Okay. 
so we had we had everybody buy in on the idea, and we were starting to see little one dollar, five dollar, twenty dollar contributions starting to trickle in 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 cash, literally. And so I'm going, ah, this is a problem. So uh, I know that somehow some of this kind of stuff is like free speech, and some of this kind of stuff, if we direct it at you know candidates, can be considered political speech. So I'm not an expert on that stuff, but I will find people who can. So I went out and I found that there was actually a political action committee, in fact, a super PAC, that is on our side, and it's called the Eastern Washington committee for the number four progress they call it and they're if you look them up online it's ewc 4p and they have the proper tax designation the 501c4 yes. in order to take the money and turn it into a billboard that's absolutely correct well wow. now that as it turned out uh what they did they worked in conjunction with act blue and so they set up an act blue account and uh, then we were able to share that link to everybody so that they could start putting money in that could properly be recognized. You know, it's from person X, and they live at uh, 1234, and they work at, you know, ABC. Right. And, you know, so anyway, all the T's were crossed and all the I's were dotted, and we were ecstatic about that. Because now we can use that same structure to raise funds for anything else that we want to do. And it was fun to watch the little um, thermometer go up and see all the little green getting to the top. And we'd go, woohoo, because our goal was like three months' worth of uh, exposure on the billboard plus the design costs. So it was several thousand dollars, like like $4,000 to do all of that. And, uh, and, and it came in. That's that's phenomenal. I know we were so stoked, and it doesn't seem like a lot of money to in the in the big world of of politics and stuff. But at the local level, that's a good chunk of change. That's what we think, and more importantly, that's money that the other candidates who are running against her don't have to put up. Well, so tell us about the response that you got to the billboard. Oh my gosh. Yeah, the response from the billboard was awesome. As a matter of fact, uh, we we got not only was it great locally, everybody wanted to support it and everybody understood it and, you know, they cheer it. We even went out and took pictures underneath it as it was being put up. It was so much fun. But, uh, you know, they said, this is the right sentiment. Yeah, we need, to, we need to make sure. So it was having serious impact on other people who would see it. And uh, because on the bottom... Uh, they would contact us because on the bottom, the banner says, um, paid for by EWC4P, powered by Indivisible Spokane. Oh, that's terrific. Because, yeah, because that's where the energy was coming from. And so I thought that was a great uh, concession on the on the Super PAC's part for us to recognize us. And then the other uh, Indivisibles from all over our congressional district said, hey, this is a neat idea. And so now we're working on um, getting it set up so that they can get their own Act Blue account for their own billboards and hopefully use the same artwork that we're using to save themselves $600. Well, you started something great. Well, I hope. Well, you know, and so in closing, I want to ask you, because you've done such great work, I'm wondering what your hopes and expectations are with it. Your area where you live, and particularly your congressional district, are pretty deeply red. So 
Are you hoping to create meaningful dialogue with the opposition in your district? Are you are you hoping to disrupt what they do? What's the end goal in your mind? Well, if we could get them to actually listen to what we have to say and start thinking about the impact their policies have on real people, I'd love to do that. I think they call that the American experiment. Mm. But what we've actually seen is that the power is getting concentrated into smaller, smaller groups of, of hands and wealthier and wealthier people, uh, you know, are starting to control everything. So I just don't see that. So there is going to have to be some some kind of disruption. But really, in our in our particular district, uh, what we're doing now is doing a lot of grassroots building because, honestly, it was kind of burnt out. The grassroots had just kind of dried up. And people are starting to wake up. I hate to use that expression, but they're woke now, and they're going, oh, that's not what I signed up for. And especially on this, you know, healthcare boondoggle, and now they're going to see it again as these uh, Republicans are in there trying to, you know, steal from the poor and give to the rich. Yeah. Um, you know, hopefully they'll start to see they're not talking about you when they say our people. So stop voting for them. And so we're ready to reach out to, to our friends and neighbors and, and have those conversations and get them to vote. And we've got a uh, strong uh, candidates that are running this time, and we're using that as an opportunity to really do some more grassroots uh, building, because you know it's ultimately it's a bullets or ballots thing, and and I'm a ballots girl, so. That's what we're pushing for. Well, I really just on behalf of everybody uh, here in the state, I, I just want to say thanks for all of the really great work that you're doing out there and for doing it with uh, such a great spirit. Uh, so, Cynthia Hamilton, thank you so much for uh, for all of it. And thanks for being on the show. Well, thank you, and thank you for getting the word out to everybody. There is hope, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> And we will end this week with our listener profile. I'm part of Indivisible because I feel like this is the the best and the most effective way that I can really resist the Trump agenda. Um, You know, there there are a lot of different options, and I I thought maybe I can run for a position, maybe I can help with other groups, be more on the offensive side and, like, the Democratic Party. Um, But I really feel like taking that defensive tack, being part of Indivisible and the nonpartisan movement, um, really organizing from the local level, grassroots, ground up, um, really puts me in a position where I can make the most impact um, and it helped push the Democrats a little bit farther to the left um, and help really resist the Trump agenda, starting with my congressman, Dave Reichert. I'm Kayla Hill, and that's why I'm part of Indivisible. And that will do it for this week's show. Uh, No call to action this week as we went long, but if you're so inclined, do kick a few bucks to Alabama Senate candidate Doug Jones for obvious reasons. Uh, I did, and it felt really good. If you'd like to learn more about the show, do head over to IndivisiblePodcast.org, and while you're there, subscribe. It's all the rage. The email address for the show is IndivisiblePodcast at gmail.com, and our Twitter handle is at IndivisiblePod. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get 
at Creative Inc. The executive producer is Aaron Albanese. Thanks again to my guests, Karen Besserman, Julia Kay, and Cynthia Hamilton. And thanks as always to you for listening. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.